Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Greetings, listener. Welcome back to the program. I have all sorts of madness in store for you this evening. But before I begin, if you happen to have tuned in to last week's installment, you may recall that I opened with Vivian's call from the state of Illinois. Well, the very next day after posting that episode... I received a letter and a drawing from young Vivian, obviously sent before she knew her story would be featured. Talk about a strange coincidence. And thank you, Vivian, for the letter and the amazing artwork. Now, also like last week, I have a great little program lined up for you this evening. And to kick things off, we head to my boyhood home of Ohio, where our anonymous caller is standing by. Hey Derek, love the show. Just wanted to call and talk about a little experience that I had on two separate occasions. I'm actually from Dayton, Ohio, and I'm not going to leave my name just to remain anonymous, but I know you're also from uh, the Southern Ohio area, and so I thought maybe, I don't know if you've ever experienced this yourself or Maybe one of your listeners has experienced something similar, but I figured I would just give a little call explaining what I experienced. So I live in a rural part of Dayton, Ohio, and my parents do. And I had moved back home during COVID, uh, waiting to start a job in L.A. And before I left uh, Ohio to go to L.A., I would spend a lot of time in their backyard just cleaning up and doing mundane housework for them. And one of those occasions of me tidying up the backyard, I was standing outside just kind of looking up at the sky. Um, At night, there's plenty of stars and and all sorts of stuff to see in the sky. And they live close to um, an airport as well as a military base, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So there's always a lot of sky activity. But on this night, I was standing outside and my sister came out and we were just kind of having a conversation. And... I believe it was close to, uh, I think the full moon was happening uh, maybe the night after this or the night before. So the moon was full. I just remember we were looking up at it. And as we were looking up, we saw this aircraft fly by and it had a a really interesting shape. It was almost chromish, kind of off-white. I don't know if that makes much sense, but it was kind of this like silvery, whitish kind of color. And it was shaped like a pill we didn't see any lights on it, but we also noticed it was really quiet. And then it shot kind of like a bullet in the sky. It was so fast. And we both kind of just like looked at each other like that was odd. You know, that was kind of a interesting 
aircraft and I think our you know first thought or our rational minds were kind of uh, convinced that it was probably something involved with the military maybe some sort of aircraft that either they were testing or maybe some sort of drone type sort of thing we're not super sure I don't know a lot about planes or anything like that so yeah obviously we didn't think about it too much but uh, honestly uh, my sister and I did think it was kind of weird anyways fast forward to the end of the summer, I had uh, a girl that I was seeing over at my parents' house, and I had told her about this aircraft because she was particularly interested in UFOs. And, you know, I told her I wasn't sure if it was a UFO, but it was definitely something that we weren't sure what it was. And just conveniently enough, we were having a bonfire, and this same aircraft flew over. And so it was odd because, you know, I, I never thought I would see it again. And it was odd that, you know, I would tell someone about it and then it passed over that same night. And it was the exact same description as I gave, you know, prior. It was just this pill-shaped looking aircraft. It was transparent-ish, kind of chromey, sort of off-white. And it made little to no sound and it didn't have really any lights on it. And it was flying around the same time the first time I saw it, so in the evening, kind of right before the sky gets totally dark. But yeah, so anyways, that's my experience. Not really sure what it was. Could have been something military or, you know, who really knows. But um, yeah, I just wanted to call and talk about that little experience that I had. Maybe one of your listeners have seen something similar or maybe you yourself would have uh, an explanation for this sort of unidentified <laughs> aircraft so anyways i uh, love the show and keep up the great work i'm always super interested in hearing what you know other people have experienced themselves and yeah so hope to uh hear this on the show or look forward to your future episodes have a good one thank you caller talk about a topical sighting the description our caller gave sounds eerily similar to the tic-tac ufo phenomena that we so often discuss a description that's essentially down to the T. So that's certainly something worth noting. And it's also not lost on me that this experience occurred very near a place that's linked to UFO phenomena for going on three quarters of a century now. Of course, I speak of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio. The base our caller mentioned in the call. Now Wright-Pat, as locals refer to it, is long rumored to be home to Hangar 18, a mysterious building on base that famously, or perhaps infamously, housed wreckage from not only the 1947 Roswell, New Mexico crash, but also the 1948 Aztec, New Mexico crash, and the 1965 Kecksburg, Pennsylvania crash as well, in addition to both dead and living alien beings. Now, these otherworldly oddities weren't sent there simply for storage. No, the U.S. military had something else entirely in mind. Reverse engineering. But why Hangar 18, when there were desert bases much closer to the original crash sites? Why truck the wreckage to a base thousands of miles away? There were several advantages to using Wright-Patterson, according to Professor Michael Swords. Wright-Patterson had several elements associated with it. It had a standard Air Force base at Patterson Field, and it had a high-technology testing facility at Wright Field. 
in between the two fields, it also had something unique to our government, and that was the Technical Intelligence Organization, so-called T2, or what became the Foreign Technology Division. During the Second World War, T2, the Foreign Technology Division, would receive crashed German rockets and aircraft. Their job was to reverse engineer the craft. T2's quarters were allegedly far underground in a maze of secret laboratories at Wright-Patterson. This is the sort of division that would have been appropriate to use for the investigation of UFO research and ultimately became the home for Project Sign and Blue Book. Now that clip courtesy of one of my favorite 1990s television programs, Sightings. Now as mentioned in that clip, Wright-Pat is uniquely equipped to handle reverse engineering. They have a team there in place. And of course, the testing grounds are on site. Which leads me to my next point. Given that the testing grounds for the world's most qualified reverse engineering department is in such close proximity to our sighting location, could that simply be what our witness saw those nights? Test flights of experimental vehicles. Now believe it or not, that sort of thing has happened before. As mentioned here in this UFO Files television show clip. Summer 1980. Mysterious lights fill the night skies above Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Newspapers and countless eyewitnesses report the aircraft was unlike anything they'd ever seen. The main reports we saw was the object was moving up and down, brightly lit. It hovered for long periods of time. And some people said it seemed to disappear over Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. But the biggest thing that gave us what we felt was the conclusive evidence that was something from Wright Field was when the two Middletown policemen chased it. They chased it for a long ways towards Dayton, Ohio, and then lost it in an area that they felt was heading for a Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Wilhelm, a retired Army Master Sergeant and UFO investigator, suspected the military may have been secretly testing the newly developed Harrier jet on the base. The British-designed craft combines the vertical abilities of a helicopter and the forward thrust of a conventional jet. After releasing his findings to the media, Wilhelm was quickly contacted by the military. I got a phone call from a major from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and he asked me a lot of questions. And at the very end, he did say, I cannot make any comments, Mr. Wilhelm, but all I can say is you've done your homework. So, is it that simple? Did our caller simply see some Air Force engineers testing the latest and greatest that their lab of geniuses could come up with? I suppose that's possible. But given the description, that's clearly not based on a craft with earthly origins. At least, not that I'm aware of. But our caller is not alone in seeing strange things in the skies over the Gem City. There have been several notable UFOs reported over and around Wright-Patterson Air Force Base over the years. I've linked to one video in particular that I really think you should take a look at, back from 2016. It's certainly compelling. At any rate, there's plenty of UFO-slash-alien lore in your corner of the state, caller. And we appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, if you have a true, terrifying tale to tell us, telephone the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or if you happen to be outside of the country, just record it on your phone and shoot me an email. 
Now our next entry takes us to the Shadow Realm. And it also takes us to the state of Washington. Lydia, welcome to the program. Hi Derek, my name's Lydia. I was just listening to your podcast, the newest release. And one of the guys was talking about a kind of shadowy figure in the hallway. And the way he described the face, it's, it seems a common trope along your collars. I've heard it before on the show, but that hooked kind of upside down teardrop shaped face. And I have a similar experience to that. And it's kind of amazing to me how many people have seen this thing. But when I was a child, I used to see shadowy figures all the time. I'd see them out of the corner of my eye. Um, They never scared me. They were just kind of there. Didn't seem very threatening. And so I would actually kind of try to see them because I could only see them in my peripheral vision. And every time I try to focus on them, they would be gone. This particular time, I was still pretty young. So, I mean, kids have a wild imagination, but I saw this shadowy figure out of the corner of my eye and something seemed different about it. It seemed almost more formed than the others had been. A little more like it was actually part of this world, I guess you could say. And it had that face shape. It was hunched over. It was still very tall, but it was hunched over. Like it had really broad shoulders. And its face was kind of that hooked look to it. And it was staring off at something in the distance. And then when I kind of like focused in on it and like noticed it was there, it turned its head and looked right at me, which I'd never had interacted with one of them before either. And just it staring at me terrified me. It sent chills down my spine. And I ran inside. I was only a few feet from the door. And I told my mom about it. And I told her that I'd seen them before. And she told me to pray. We came from a very religious home. And she told me they were demons. That I was seeing demons. That I needed to pray. And that if I shut them out of my mind, they would go away. And I tried my hardest. I said the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again for days, I'm pretty sure. I don't see them anymore. Eventually, I didn't see them anymore. I think kids are a little more in tune with things because they are still open to it. But yeah, scared the crap out of me. And that's my story. But yeah, love the podcast. Looking forward to hearing more. All right, have a good one. Thank you, Lydia. You know, it dawned on me that this kind of phenomenon is perfect for interpretation. They're literally a blank space for anyone and everyone to apply their beliefs and preconceptions to. For one, this entity may be a demon. For another, a ghost. Or another, an interdimensional traveler. And so on. Now, I happen to be in the latter camp. That's assuming that any of this is real, of course. If you're wondering... But whatever the origin, the result is terrifying. So thanks again, Lydia, for sharing your run-in with them, with us. Next up, we venture to Florida. Adam, thanks for calling. Yes, my name's Adam. I reside in Florida. My sister lives up in uh, St. Augustine, so... We, uh, we, me and my wife, 
go up there every uh, few weeks to see her. And it was summertime. We went up there uh, midday, walking around. We ended up going into a antique store. The store had been, you know, redone, so it looked modern. But the building was 300 years old. So we go in, and I'm looking at knickknacks, and I'm making my way to the back. And the back of the store would be the kitchen of the old house that once was. Now, I can walk into a building, and if there's spirit in there, usually I get, I, I get a heavy feeling. And as soon as I walked into this place, I looked at my wife, and I said, there's something in here. <laughs> so I kept walking. I get my way uh, back to the kitchen. And as soon as I cross the threshold of the kitchen, my stomach starts turning, and I start gagging where like I'm almost puking. So I, I said, okay, I'm sorry, I'm in your space. I backed out, I walked toward the front of the store, which I started feeling better. And I asked the lady behind the register, said, uh, does this place have a, a spirit in it? And she said, absolutely, absolutely. And I said, is it a female? Because I only put that together because you can tell that that once was a kitchen and I thought maybe you know, that's a lady spot back in those days. So I imagined uh, there was a woman, and she said, absolutely. So there's a female spirit in here. She likes to move jewelry, try on jewelry. And uh, I was like, yeah, she just uh, made me pretty ill in her area. And she said, yeah, she doesn't really like people back there. <laughs> and I was like, well, you better, you better move the merchandise from her area. Yeah, they're stirring her up, but that's my story like that. I have a bunch more. I'll call back. Yeah, thank you. Now, this call reminds me of a story that I don't recall sharing on the show, but maybe once, half a decade or so ago. So, here it goes again. I, too, had a strange occurrence where I picked up on someone or something's energy, only to receive a near-instant confirmation. It was probably 2012. I was living in mid-city L.A., and Sarah, my now wife, had an apartment in Long Beach, and we were dating. To see each other, we'd have to drive an hour to an hour and a half on the treacherous 405 freeway. More on that road at the very end of the show. Anyway, during one of these trips to Long Beach, Sarah talked me into driving the coast, then grabbing dinner somewhere. That's when we stumbled upon a small bar-slash-restaurant in Huntington Beach called Captain Jack's. It's a kitschy place to get a pint or a plate of battered fish. But for some reason, we were drawn inside. Now, the joint was pretty busy, so the only seats we could get were at the end of the bar, near a darkened little hallway that I believe led to some sort of office. As we sat down, I got the immediate feeling that a large man was standing next to us. Yet when I turned, I couldn't see him. It was as if a seven-foot-tall man was hovering over me as I perused the menu. The feeling was so strong that as the bartender came over to take our orders, I could only blurt out, Who's the big guy? Then I gestured to the dark hallway behind me. Half embarrassed, I expected an odd look, but instead, he looked at me deadpan and said, Well, it's Jack. He then proceeded to tell the story of Jack Haley, surfing legend in Sunset Beach, 
and the founder of his namesake, Captain Jack's. Now, prior to this, Sarah and I knew nothing of the restaurant or its history, and we certainly didn't know Jack was a real person. The bartender went on to say that Jack passed away in 2000 from cancer, and from time to time, people would pick up on his energy. Apparently, Jack was the life of the party, and a beloved figure in life. And I, for one, can confirm that at least some of that energy lives on. Now, I've dropped a link to that place in the show notes if you ever want to plate a good seafood. Thanks again, Adam, for sharing your entry. Attention shirt wearers, and this should be most of you. I'm proud to announce we have some brand new merchandise for the summer, and I'm kind of pumped about this one. In collaboration with Hog Island Press, I'm excited to announce a brand new alien big cat design. Featured on a t-shirt, tank top, and koozies, all ready for the summer. Now you might recognize Mark of Hog Island Press's work, as he's the brilliant designer behind the Monsters in America cryptid map posters. Hop on over to hogislandpress.com or follow him on Instagram at hogislandpress. And pick up some new threads for the summer while you're at it. That's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And a huge thanks to Mark for the brilliant alien big cat design. Okay, next up we hear from an anonymous caller from the state of Texas. Hey Derek, I want to remain anonymous for this call. A few years ago I was working out in El Paso at the airport on night shift. And uh, I was walking around the gates at night. It was a clear night. And I looked up, and I see this small drone-like craft flying overhead. It was crescent moon-shaped, an extra point in the middle, kind of like a bat wing or something like that. But it was definitely some sort of device or something because it had this green light on the front. And I distinctly remember this light as it flew forward, and it flew very slowly, and it kind of looked like it was bobbing up and down as it was flying in the light of this very strange trail behind it, this green trail. I looked up and I, I saw it for maybe a couple seconds. I want to say about three or five seconds total. And I stopped and I looked at it and suddenly it, it disappears, but it doesn't just vanish. It sort of looks like it turns on a, like an invisibility device or like a cloaking device or something like that. Something you'd see in like a sci-fi movie or video game or something like that. Like the Predator almost, where you can kind of make it out, but not really. And then it was gone. Nobody else saw it. I was with somebody, but it just so happened at that moment that he had his glasses off and he was cleaning them. So he definitely didn't see it. And I didn't say anything to him. A couple months after that, I saw a couple more flying much faster and it looked higher up overhead too and I was wondering maybe it's a military thing or something I don't know if it is I hope that me talking about it is not an issue (laughs) there's military stuff over there so that that'd be what I would say is the logical explanation except for that sort of technology is just out of this world to me but anyways that's my story it's real quick thanks for listening Bye. Thanks, caller. 
Now, I certainly do not claim to be a UFO expert, but because it's the way my brain is wired, I've memorized thousands of details regarding famous cases involving unidentified flying objects. And as I listen to this call, and more specifically the description of the craft our caller witnessed, I'm quickly reminded of one of the very first modern-day UFO sightings on the planet. Certainly the first contemporary encounter. Here, have a listen to this history.com clip, and you tell me that some of these details aren't eerily similar. Kenneth Arnold was a 32-year-old successful businessman on the summer day that his sighting took place. He sold firefighting equipment and flew his own light plane. On Tuesday, June 24, 1947, Arnold was flying toward Mount Rainier above the Cascade Mountains of Washington State. The air was smooth and clear as he reached 9,200 feet and noticed a bright flash. To the left and north of Mount Rainier, he saw what he described as nine peculiar objects flying at over 1,200 miles per hour. As they passed the mountain, the objects were outlined against the snow. They traveled in a V formation and were skipping through the sky in such a way that Arnold said they resembled a saucer skipping across water. He sketched a series of diagrams to illustrate what he had seen. What he drew was shaped like a crescent 50 feet long and only 3 feet thick. It had a rounded point in the rear. When seen edge on, he reported, they looked like a black line. The motion of the craft skipping along. That's a strange detail to repeat. And of course, the shape of the object itself. Right down to the small protrusion in the rear of the open side of the crescent shape. It's downright uncanny. And of course, I'm not suggesting both men saw the same thing. But given the similarities, it's certainly possible. And if I may, one would think this odd crescent shape is rarely reported since it's not often depicted in popular culture or mainstream media. But that would be an incorrect assumption. That shape is reported more often than you would believe. So thank you, caller, for reporting your encounter. And keep your eyes open out there. I've been lurking the comment sections of a few posts on our social media. And I noticed many saying these last few episodes have been the best yet. And as much as I'd like to take all the credit, I just might have had a little help. I've been taking Magic Mind. Magic Mind is tonight's sponsor, so I wanted to take a quick moment to introduce you to this little shot that I've been enjoying every morning. It's a drink that helps you focus and be more productive, but with constant energy. Not feeling wired, there's no energy crash at the end. It's just a subtle, solid base. Now there's some caffeine, but it comes from matcha tea, which I was already a fan of before I met Magic Mind. Now they were kind enough to send over a few samples, and for the past few weeks now I've been taking it, and I've got to say, I've noticed a difference in my focus. Now look, I'm not completely sure how this all works, but I know that it does. And I know that it has 12 functional ingredients, including matcha, as I mentioned before. But it also has nootropics, which aid in focus, and adaptogens, which help with stress. I've also grown to enjoy the taste. Now, the Magic Mind guys described it as creator aid. 
because it's made with creators, entrepreneurs, and freelancers in mind. And I think it lives up to that nickname. I got a lot of work done this week. So if you'd like to give Magic Mind a try, head on over to magicmind.com forward slash monster, where you can use the coupon code MONSTER for 20% off your first order. And Magic Mind has a money-back guarantee. Any first purchase will be refunded with no questions asked if it doesn't meet your expectations. So you really have nothing to lose here. Again, that's magicmind.com forward slash monster for 20% off your first order. Now look, I'm not keen on peddling magic cures, but I was pleasantly surprised by my experience with Magic Mind. And I think you might be as well. Now let's get back to the spooky stuff. What do you say we dip our toes back into the icy waters of ghosts and hauntings? With the following entry sent in by Anthony here in California. Hey Derek, Anthony here. New listener. My friend Jen recently introduced me to your podcast and I love it. Can't wait to uh, start binging it to get caught up with everything that's been going on with uh, the callers. Yeah, I'm in Southern California currently, but my story takes place in San Jose, California in about 1994-ish. To preface that, I've always had the feeling that something's been following me from when I've moved, because I've moved a lot. But what that feeling is, it's nothing bad or negative. But when I moved to a new house in 94, when I was about 10, what I felt in that house is something totally different than what I believe has been following me most of my life. So yeah, in 94, me and my parents moved into a new house in San Jose, California. Uh, again, I was about 10 years old. And I don't remember how long it was after I lived there, but I always had an uneasy feeling that I wasn't alone in that house or that there was something watching me or just around. I can't describe it better than that, but what happened was one night, probably 95-ish, 96-ish, I was home alone, I'm in our living room, and our living room, you know, has this sliding glass door to the backyard, and it's connected to a middle room, which we made into an office, and that office room has the hallway to the bathroom to the left, and then first bedroom to the right, Walk down a little bit more, second bedroom to the right. Walk down a little bit more, you know, kind of key cornered was my room, third bedroom, and then to the left of that was fourth bedroom, parents' room. And then there was a bathroom in there. And from the office, you had a doorway that led into the kitchen, the dining room area. And the dining room area was kind of big, you know, we had a pool table in there one time, a ping pong table another time. And also the office area, you had another walkway that led to the garage door, going to the garage, and then the entrance way to the front door. But one night, I'm at home by myself. As I'm an only child, my parents weren't there. And I'm watching TV in the living room. And I have the light on in the office area. And all of a sudden, the light switch in the office area that controls the light starts rapidly going off and on basically like someone's there clicking a switch really quick off on off on off on and lights corresponding by going out turning back on and this only happened for a couple seconds 
But I looked and I didn't see anything. But I knew no one was in the house. And being, you know, around 12-ish, I pretty much was freaked out and I ran outside, you know, via the sliding glass door in the living room to the backyard. I walked back inside, but I wasn't comfortable until one of my parents got home. And even before that, you know, I never liked being in that house much by myself. But after that, I would very rarely want to go into my room to sleep. I would pass out on the couch. I just didn't want to be alone in that house at night. There was just an uneasy feeling always being there. Yeah, it's hard for me to describe. It's just that uneasiness that I'd never experienced before. So, you know, we moved out about 98-ish. And then fast forward to about 2003, 2004, I have a friend that I hang out with sometimes, and he's like, uh, hey, let's go hang out with my other friend's house. You know, I knew her from school, but we never hung out. So, you know, we were going to her house, and I'm following them with some other buddies in my car, and we're driving, and you know, we're getting close, and I'm like, oh, wow, we, I used to live around here. And then we get a little closer, and it's like, wow, this is really close to where I live. And then we turn down the street that I used to live on in regards to this house. And once we made that turn, I knew where we were going. We were going to the house. I had no doubt in my mind. And sure enough, you know, she pulled on in front of that house, you know, I right behind her, get out, you know, we walk inside and, you know, we're hanging out. And, uh, you know, I tell her, hey, I used to live here. And uh, I say, hey, I have a weird question, but do you or anybody ever have a feeling about this house, like a presence or see anything? And she made a mention that, you know, she herself felt uneasy in that house alone at night. And that there was one time when one of her friends was spending the night, just them two. And her friend, you know, got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. And when she's about to walk in before turning the lights on, she sees a figure of a little girl. And, you know, within a blink of an eye, that figure disappeared. I never remember seeing anything in that house. I never thought of it as a little girl, childlike. It was always more sinister in how I felt. I just can't really explain it, except it was not friendly. And again, with what I feel has been following me, it's totally different than that. To where, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's my story from that house in San Jose. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I'll be listening to more of your podcast. Thanks, Anthony. That is pretty wild. What are the chances that she'd live in the exact same house? That part of the story fascinates me, let alone all the strange activity. But I imagine having her confirm your suspicions about the place must have felt pretty good. Or at least left you with the feeling that you weren't losing your mind. It's great stuff, Anthony. Thank you for calling in. Now this next one is jam-packed with creepiness. So please join me in welcoming Tyler from Wisconsin to the program. Hey Derek, this is Tyler calling from Wisconsin. and I've wanted to call this one in for a while, ever since I discovered your show. So, backstory, like I said, I grew up in Wisconsin and when I was probably about six or seven years old, uh, I lived in this house with my mom and my parents just got recently divorced in this town called 
Bay City, Wisconsin. And like I said, I was probably about six or seven years old. And one night I remember, you know, my, my parents split like pretty recently. And I was like, you know, kind of scared. I had my own room upstairs and everything like that. And one night I was kind of scared. So I asked my mom, like, hey, can I come sleep down in, in the bed with you? And she was like, yeah, of course, you know, so. I'm sleeping down there, and mind you, nothing weird had ever happened before this. So this is shortly after we moved in there, I believe. And so I'm sleeping, and I'm sleeping on my left side. I'm on the left side of the bed, and there was a little digital clock on the nightstand next to the bed. And I open my eyes, and I see that the clock reads 2 o'clock a.m. on the spot. And so I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I go to roll over to get more comfortable, and as I'm rolling over, I see something standing at the edge of the bed. Now, when I kind of like sat up and like looked at what it was, there was a guy standing there. But the weird thing was, is he had, it was like an older man and he had like this weird blue aura, almost kind of like Star Wars and, you know, like Force Ghosts and everything like that. But this is long before I ever watched Star Wars. So I couldn't make this up if I wanted to at the time. And I'm kind of just like staring at this guy, like just in shock. I couldn't move, I couldn't say anything and I'm just staring at him and he kind of is like tilting his head like he's confused or something like that. So I'm thinking it's like, I, you know, I don't know what to think. And then I just remember looking back down at the clock and it says it's like 2.20, 2.21, something like that. And I was like, well, I'm going to like roll over and go back to bed. So I go back to bed and I remember waking up again. And this time it was four o'clock on the dot and the guy was still there. Now, that was it was very strange. You could tell he wasn't like... A, like a guy standing in the house. It was obviously a spirit, but um, I, him and I kind of stared at each other again, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared right in front of my eyes. And it's very creepy, and I don't remember sleeping well that night, obviously. So the next morning I wake up, and my mom kind of asked me, like, hey, did you see what I saw in the middle of the night? Because she always used to wake up, like, super early and, like, have cookies and milk in the middle of the night. And I was like, uh, yeah. So she must have saw it at some point in between there. And she's like, yeah, I saw it too. And uh, she said, ironically, yesterday, I was sitting on the couch watching TV and I saw that same spirit or guy or whatever walk across from the bedroom where she was at through the living room. And as the guy passed the TV, the TV turned off. And when he passed by, it turned back on. He walked straight forward to the bathroom and then he, she said he disappeared. So very strange and then shortly after that it would be like in the middle of the night and it would just be freezing in the winter in Wisconsin and we'd wake up everybody would wake up in the house me and my mom and, and her boyfriend at the time and the windows would be wide open the front door would be wide open my cats would be outside and stuff like that and it happened quite a bit I remember and then it just started to get to the point where my mom wanted to figure out what happened. And I think she said that a man passed away in the house years before we moved into it. And I guess the guy's name is Russell. And so anytime any of this weird stuff happened from there on out, we would always just say, oh, it's just Russ or it's just Russell opening up windows. Just, And I never saw him again, but uh, unrelated, the house actually kind of caught on fire and it burned down like a couple years after that. I don't think it had anything to do with that, but... I know that they rebuilt that house years later, and every day I think about, like, hey, I wonder what happened if I went and knocked on the door. And I was like, have you guys ever seen anything weird, you know, since they rebuilt this house and stuff? So, I don't know. That was probably the first ever, like, ghost or creepy thing that ever happened to me.
So I wanted to give it a call in. So love the show. Talk to you later. Thank you, Tyler. A full-bodied apparition seen by two separate people. The same apparition seemed to manipulate electronics. Open doors, open windows. Thanks a lot, Russell. It's a great entry, Tyler. That's just the sort of place we should probably focus our investigations. It's a shame it's no longer here. And do let us know, Tyler, if you ever decide to knock on the door of this new place. I'd be curious to know, too. Thanks again. I have a few pretty good ones rounding us out, but before I hit play, a quick word about Monsters Among Us Beyond over at Patreon. As I hinted at last week, there are some big changes coming to Monsters Among Us Beyond. First, the price will be going up to $5 monthly, but you have until May 1st to get grandfathered into the current $4 level, and it'll stay at $4 until you decide to cancel. And the other major change comes in the form of a format change. Instead of the traditional standalone episodes, I will, beginning on May 12, 2022, be extending each regular episode by 30 to 45 minutes. Extended episodes begin May 12th over on Patreon. Now, of course, it'll be the same laid-back approach. The only thing that will change is the price and the way the content is packaged. Now, I know change is hard, but this way will make it easier for me to produce more content for you. The bonus content runtime will at least double, if not more. And you'll be getting it more often. So, in short, it's going from $4 to 5 unless you grandfather in to the $4 level by May 1st. And extended episodes begin May 12th over on Patreon. I look forward to sharing even more creepy tales with you all. And of course, Sarah, myself, and the rest of the Monsters Among Us team appreciate it greatly. Okay. This next one keeps us in the state of Wisconsin. Richard, please, tell us what you saw. Hello, my name is Richard. I'm from southeast Wisconsin. Uh, This is also where this set of events occurred. So... This occurred in about the late fall of 2006. I rented a cabin from a buddy of mine's dad by a lake that was somewhat secluded. And uh, it was a really pretty area, really clean lake, driveway, gravel driveway by a field that went back about a mile, curvy driveway. Yeah, I was kind of out there by myself, no running water, really rough in it. I had a girl I really was digging at the time over and she had left and it didn't really go the way I wanted it to so I felt like I needed to blow off some steam and uh, decided to go for a jog. So I'm jogging and I get done with my jog, I look up, it's a real clear night and all of a sudden one of the stars kind of caught my eye or at least I thought it was a star. It twinkled and it was a little bit bigger than the other stars. And then I started thinking maybe it wasn't because as I watched it about three o'clock in the morning, it started moving around. It went side to side in a straight line and then it would make a triangle and uh, it would make like an S shape. 
I watched it for probably about a half an hour do this. And while I was watching it, actually, with the moonlight basking down, just light enough so you could pretty much see everything, but still dark enough where it was felt dark by the lake. I actually saw an antlered buck walk by, and I could have swore it looked at the same thing I was looking at and uh, kind of looked at me and gave me like a like a deer shrug and walked off. And I thought I was overtired, just seeing stuff, you know, a little emotional at the moment. And I chalked it up to all that And as I was watching it uh, until it kind of like jumped up real quick. It's like it went straight up really, really fast. And then it popped back down and like another one showed up next to it. Then they both popped up and disappeared. Just even talking about it, thinking about it, it kind of like blows my mind a little bit. And I told my friends about it. They came over, we're having a party. And my friend is outside relieving himself. And he says, hey, Ricky, you mean like that light over there in the sky? And I started yelling at him. I was like, yeah, man, I told you that in confidence. I'm not even sure what I saw. I'm not in the mood for jokes. And he's like, no, seriously. And I looked and sure enough, it was uh, the same thing, except on the other end of the sky. And it was a lot closer. You could see it changing colors. Like every minute it would change a color. We, we watched this thing for like an hour. And I even started calling it out like, now it's going to do an S. Now it's going to do a straight line. And two of my other friends watched and... There was like four other people there. And I think arguably one of the strangest things of this whole thing is like these four other friends of mine, they saw it and it's like they, they didn't want to talk about it. They're immediately just like freaked out, but didn't want to lead on that they were freaked out. They just were like, okay, we're just, we're going to go. And they didn't even say they were uncomfortable or anything. So they left. So we're watching in the sky, me and my three friends and this object is much closer, sparkling, doing the patterns. And uh, another little light kind of just like comes from higher up in the atmosphere down next to it. And then they both did the same thing they had done the night before. They just scooted up way, all I can say is like up and really fast and they were gone. And then uh, we saw in the forest, which was much nearer to us than what we were seeing in the sky, like a green flash. It shot out like a triangle-shaped flash, like a light lime green, and, you know, heard some animal scattering. And we all went in the house and were freaked out. We didn't really even talk. Everybody was just frightened, and we were a bunch of 20-year-olds <laughs> almost snuggling. We were so frightened. That's kind of where my story ends. And just sharing it, if anyone else has ever experienced anything like that, I appreciate your show. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Come on, Richard. Haven't you learned anything from this show? Nothing good ever comes from jogging at 3 a.m. But I suppose you learned that the hard way. Now, as for the sighting, talk about a party crasher. And what was the green light that dropped into the forest? The detail about the animals fleeing gave me goosebumps. It's very Spielberg-esque, and I love it. Thank you, Richard, for sharing the entry. If anybody listening out there has any clue, be sure to give us a call. And that brings us to tonight's closer. 
I told you these last ones were good, and to prove it, here's Kim from the Buckeye State of Ohio. Now, real quick before I hit play, a trigger warning, there is a very brief mention of sexual assault in the following call. Hi, my name is Kim Neubauer. My friend Joe Cook gave me your card and told me to call. I haven't told very many people this story, but I'm going to share it. I live in Cleveland, Ohio now, but my encounter happened in the late 90s on my honeymoon at Seneca Rocks on Spruce Knob in West Virginia. Spruce Knob is the highest point in West Virginia, a narrow corkscrew road one mile up. It was around midnight this happened. My ex and I drove up. We entered the parking lot, which is brightly lit, and there was a full moon, so it was like daytime there. Until we drove around the back to the park ranger's tower in the woods. My ex wanted to go up into the tower, so we pulled back there. It was dark. I stayed in the car and had my bright lights on, aimed towards him. It was really, really dark, and it's all woods there, forest. Well, he finally came back to the car, and we turned around and drove back to the parking lot, and I told him I wanted to get a rock for my mom from the highest point in West Virginia. She collected rocks from all over. There's a steep hill on our left with the woods at the top, the forest. It's really, really, really steep. And then on the right, there was like the flat parking lot, and then it drops off as you go farther over. As I opened the door to put my foot out and reached down to grab a rock, a voice inside me said, get out now, leave now. And it was a very urgent voice. I usually listen to my instincts, but this was completely different than what, you know, usually happens. So I shut the door, turned to my ex, and I said, we need to go now. And he said, what? And that's when I saw what I'll call Bigfoot. There were two of them. They were coming down the slope. And they were standing almost to the top. It wasn't very high. It was like maybe a two-story house high up, like the, all the way up. If you go up the steep incline, that's how high up it was. Well, when I first saw them, they were at the top, and they were just moseying on down. And then they saw us, and they started coming really fast, and they weren't friendly. But there were two of them. One of them was about 8 feet, and the other one was about 10 feet. They looked like men, but they were covered in hair, and they smelled really bad. I could smell them. They smelled woodsy, and like they smelled like animals. And they were coming down this slope really, really fast towards us. They were very menacing, and I said, what the fuck is that? Excuse my language, but that's what I said. And he opened his door to get out, and I leaned over and grabbed a hold of him, and then I used my left foot to hit the gas, and we skidded down as far as we could go and this road is really narrow and it corkscrews so when you leave the parking lot it's pitch black I was so scared when we were going down that hill that I wet myself now I have never done that like out of fear I, I mean I've had a lot of bad things happening but all I could think of is they were going to get us they were going to come down and cut us off and grab us or something because they gave me a creepy feeling and they scared me really bad I did not think that they were friendly at all. And for many, many years after this, I couldn't even sit out in my yard for fear that they would find me. I mean, I've been raped and I've been beaten and almost kidnapped and all kinds of bad stuff. But seeing those two Bigfoot 
That was the scariest thing to ever happen to me. And I don't talk about this very often, but I know Bigfoot's real. I saw two of them, you know, so aliens and everything else fall in. They're all real too, as far as I'm concerned. Because yeah, what I saw, it scared the living daylights out of me. And I just wanted to share it with you. And thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Kim. And thank you, Joe, for the recommendation. No doubt that's a terrifying story. And I'm sorry that you had to experience it, Kim. If I were to conjure up a place in my mind where monsters lurked and creatures roamed, it would look an awful lot like the state of West Virginia, with its hills and hollers and high mountaintops. There could be anything hiding in there. Mothman, the Braxton County Monster, the Grafton Monster, and Sheep Squatch all come to mind. And I don't think most people realize that West Virginia is a place historically known for regular Sasquatches as well. If you don't believe me, take Matt Moneymaker's word for it via the Bigfoot Hoedown episode of Animal Planets, Finding Bigfoot. There have been reports of wild men in West Virginia for hundreds of years. Old newspaper articles from all over the state talk about mountain devils and wild men it's clear that they're talking about what we call Bigfoots or Sasquatches today. Of all the pockets of activity in the mountain state that I'm aware of, the location of Kim's encounter is not one that's on my radar. So that sent me on a mission to find another encounter from that area of the state. And thanks to the folks at New Jersey's Sussex County Bigfoot over at YouTube, I found one that was less than 30 miles away. I'm Terry Dehaven. Nice to meet you, Terry. Um, have you been here all your life, Mr. Dehaven? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been here all my life. You ever seen a Bigfoot? No, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> There's a preacher down the road here. Mm -hmm. Last deer season, which would have been in November, he was up here on top of Cheat up here, mm -hmm. Cheat Mountain, like you're going to go to Elkins. Yeah. First top up the fur top. And he was up in there deer hunting. And, uh, he was sitting up there and where he's at is kind of where the wilderness starts. Sure. Okay. And he said, he looked out around the hill. He was sitting right up above a deer trail. And he seen this thing coming. Really? Big black, walking on feet like us. Now, he wouldn't exaggerate. Anyway, he said, it must have detected him. And there's this big tree down below him. And he said, that thing got in behind that tree and peeped around around and uh, he said he scoped it he had no intention of shooting mm -hmm. you see it was a male or female mm -hmm. it was a male anyway about that time the laurel was kind of heavy you can't see through it right he could hear the must have been the offsprings of them grunting really grunting noise and about two or three days later there were guys coming from Huttonsville that's coming this way from Elkins there was three of them running across the road in front of them. Really? And they stopped up here at the store and was telling them <laughs> what they had seen. Now I suggest watching the full video for more context, but essentially the team is buying firewood from this gentleman. And the question came up. And well, you know how it went from there. 
and I couldn't help but pick up on the fact that the second encounter in the story detailed seeing more than one of these creatures, just like Kim's experience. It's wild stuff, Kim. Thank you so much for taking the time to share it. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please take a moment to follow us over on social media, if accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. While you're at it, please leave us a rate and review wherever possible. Five stars and a few kind words go a long way to help the show grow. And finally, tonight's music was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Go give them a follow on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Tonight's secret story comes to us from an area I know well. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I was a PA, a production assistant at a production company, and they sent me on daily deliveries all over LA, but primarily through this area. But enough about me. Let's let Matt from California fill us all in on what's going on. Hi, Derek. This is Matt from Los Angeles. I've been listening to the podcast now since about July. It's uh, September now, almost October. And I'm a big fan of the show, really enjoy it. And as I've been listening, I've been thinking about my own life and experiences I've had, maybe ways I can contribute to the show. And I I do have a story. It's not ominous and um, not really scary, just pretty odd and weird. And I experienced it and my my father did as well. It was uh, middle of the day. And this was probably about, I want to say, eight years ago, nine years ago. My dad and I, we live in the South Bay here, kind of in the beach cities, El Segundo, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, Hermosa, that area of Los Angeles. And we were driving up the 405 freeway going to Westwood up by UCLA. That's where I went to school. And we were stuck on the 405 freeway in just gridlock traffic, typical 405 freeway traffic around, I want to say this was, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, terrible time to be on the freeway. We were going on the northbound lane and we were just about past the 10 freeway, Santa Monica freeway. And so we were just kind of inching our way up to Westwood. For you uh, callers who aren't really familiar with the uh, geography and traffic of LA, the 405 freeway, it runs north to south and it's uh, right near Los Angeles and it's an absolute nightmare. If you're stuck in that traffic, you're just stuck there for hours. So my dad and I were stuck in traffic and we had the uh, radio off and no AC on. It wasn't too hot. Windows were rolled up. And I'm laughing because it's just, it's just bizarre, man. We heard a horse whinny 
that kind of we heard that twice very faint and far away and it sounded like it was coming out of our i want to say my air conditioner and you know it wasn't a, a mechanical sound there wasn't a horse trailer in front of us behind us on the northbound lane because like i said we were stopped nobody's windows were open next to us there was nobody on the southbound lane where this kid had come from no horse trailer nothing and what's funny is when it happened i heard it it sounded kind of faint and far away like it was coming from some great distance <laughs> i heard it and then it happened once and then maybe a second or two later it happened again and i, I was driving the car and I, and I looked over at my dad and i was like did you just hear a horse <laughs> and he said yeah i heard that too you know and here's the thing the reason it gets me is my dad's a retired fireman from los angeles here and He's kind of a, he is a no-nonsense guy. He's seen too much reality to put up with any BS. And, you know, the thing that struck me was my dad's explanation. We were trying to figure out where this had come from. My dad was the one that said, I think we just picked up on some weird frequency or some weird thing from some other place that wasn't here. I thought that was really interesting coming from my dad. You know, I've tried to think what it could have been. Was it maybe uh, someone had a weird... Uh, a horn on their car maybe but if you've ever been stuck in LA traffic people aren't honking their horns a lot uh, surprisingly they just kind of are stuck in the grind and going going forward like I said it came from really far away and it was a very very odd thing it wasn't a mechanical noise it wasn't my car it wasn't the AC it wasn't uh, it wasn't the radio none of that was on and, but there was a sound of a horse really faint and far away on the 405 freeway in the middle of gridlock traffic with no rational place it could have come from and no horse trailer, nothing. So that's my story. I wanted to know maybe if other people that listen to the show have ever experienced something like that. You just hear something that's just out of place. No rhyme or reason to be there. That's it. Love the podcast. Listen to all the episodes. We're really, really enjoying it. And I appreciate that you give people kind of a place to talk about this kind of weird stuff. Thanks a lot, Derek. Bye. Thanks, man. Now, the point of my ramble before Matt's call was to show that I knew the area. Not only that, but I know some of the history of the area, too. And roughly, the area he's talking about used to be a massive ranch. It began as a 4,400-acre parcel that was land-granted to a retired Spanish soldier, Don Maximo Alanis. In the 1880s, it sold to a fellow named John Wolfskill. Wolfskill sold the land that later became the Los Angeles National Cemetery that you see on either side of the 405. Anyway, Wolfskill owned it until his death in 1913. Then another dude named Arthur Letts ended up with it and began selling off parcels for development. The point I'm trying to make here, though, is that for a good 150 years... Horses would have not only been kept on the premises, but used daily for labor and transportation. So maybe a horse in this area now would be a strange sight. But historically speaking, and perhaps paranormally speaking, it makes perfect sense. Well, I hope the traffic finally let up for you, Matt. That's why I always rode a motorcycle. Thanks again, Matt, for the fun entry, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night.